I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Ask Lisa, a parenting podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting. Now, in the midst of a pandemic, Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. In this episode, we're covering parenting in a pandemic. Rena, how are you? I am picking up strands of sparkling glitter and uh, all sorts of weird uh, byproducts from my eight-year-old's birthday party. Ah. She had this Zoom birthday party. I, th- I thought I'd really figured this one out, and then I realized it was a disaster. Oh. Uh, I, <laughs> I had these girls, four girls, come by and pick up these beautifully wrapped little gifts. They were um, these unicorn eggshell things that you fill with soil and they're supposed to sprout um at first i thought it was marijuana but it isn't okay good, it's, good. Uh, <laughs> not cool i mean cool in other ways but not for an eight-year-old's birthday party not for an eight-year-old birthday party but it's supposed to be a little garden i thought they'd zoom they'd be far away from each other but still able to kind of socially interact and make this and that could be the, her birthday party so wait so they like came over to pick the stuff up and then they went back to their respective homes with their new and they went gardens back. yeah got it they okay. were able to say hello hung out for a little bit they were so excited it was sort of the first time they'd seen each other in six months oh and five minutes before the Zoom, I find my daughter, who is the sunniest person in the world you can imagine, crying. And she said this was not the birthday party she had planned. Oh. And I have to tell you, I was a little angry because I've got this Zoom call for her set up. I've got another work call for myself set up that I've got to deal with. And I needed to get her down there. But I realized, I mean, what do you do in a moment like this uh, when your nerves are afraid? And... I just acknowledged her sadness, you know? This isn't what any of us wanted. No, but okay, first of all, thank you for mentioning 
right off the bat, though, that you were angry. I have to tell you that not only am I a psychologist in the pandemic, I'm a mom in the pandemic, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got my two girls, and um, they're 9 and 16, so we cover a lot of developmental ground. And I'm not proud of this, but it is definitely the case, especially under pandemic conditions, that sometimes if one of them's upset, I feel this huge divide appear in me. That part of me is like, mm. oh, honey, oh, no, like, what's wrong? Like, oh, let me help you. And another part of me is like, oh, come on, no, please, don't See, do I've reached this. The, I've reached the, oh, come on, don't do this, like, almost every time. And I have to catch myself now because I am so over it, Lisa. I'm so over it. I know, I know. But I just, I'm so glad you just said it. And I'm right there, too. So, okay, so you said, you 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 went with the oh, honey side. <laughs> you made, I did. You, you contained the other side. Good job. I did. And then what happened? And it really helped, you know, acknowledging to her that she's right. You know, this isn't what we wanted, and uh, but we're trying to do the best we can, and we're hopeful that maybe next year it it might be a, a much better social uh, birthday party. And and you know what, Lisa, she went down. She did the Zoom. I could hear the laughter. The girls had a great time. The moms were awesome. They all showed up initially with these beautiful gifts for her wrapped. You know, my whole Aww. point was just to get them together. And you just like it brings tears to your eyes to see how the other moms. We're also trying to create a sense of normalcy for the eight-year-olds, you know, and the girls loved it. And and it's been amazing. Um, it's been amazing, you know, um, seeing her together and, and having this little garden grow. And um, But it's hard, you know, it's hard acknowledging. And what my big worry was that night, I thought, what am I not doing as a parent and acknowledging and taking care of as I'm trying to keep my head above water and I feel like I'm drowning? I kept telling all my friends how, oh my gosh, she's thriving under quarantine. My daughter's doing so well. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, what if she isn't? You were worried that maybe she wasn't as okay as you thought she was. And like, what are the signals? Like, what what do I need to watch out for that, okay, the harm could be unreversible at this point. Oh, well, I just want to start right there. I'm not worried that anything you've described so far makes me think you have reasons to worry that there is, you know, irreversible damage being done to your sweet girl by the pandemic. But I know parents have a lot of the concerns you're sharing, which is, you know, I'm, I'm working so hard to make it okay. I'm holding myself together best I can. I'm sometimes doing backflips to make things nicer for my kids because I'm so worried about the conditions we're under. How do I know if what I'm doing is actually working or going to effectively protect them, right? That's where we're at right now is how, how do we protect our kids from this? And and I think, you know, when I, when I size it up as a psychologist, there's a couple ways that I would take on that question of like when – when would we worry? Like, when would sh- when should you worry? And so what you describe is that she became upset, you gave her empathy, and then she was okay. She bounced back. She went and had a good time at the party, and it sounds like she was okay for several days thereafter. Is that about right? It's absolutely right. Yeah. So that, to me, is certainly not only not grounds for concern. That does not sound to me worrisome. It actually feels like evidence of your daughter's excellent mental health in that moment. Um, Because one of the things that we're up against as a culture is that 
an inaccurate definition, a not helpful definition of mental health has sort of taken hold over time. And it's this idea that we're supposed to feel calm and happy all the time. And that's not true. That um, the real definition of mental health is that you have the right feeling at the right time and you're able to weather it. And so what you're describing is that even though it was a nice birthday party, the truth is nobody wants a Zoom birthday party, right? (laughs) True. I'm going to turn 50 this fall, and I'm like, man, I'm going to turn 50 on Zoom. Like, really? That is so (laughs) not what I had in mind for my 50th birthday party. No way. And she got upset. And so for me, I'm like, there she is. She's having the right feeling at the right time. That's a good thing. But it's also coupled with the other good thing, which was she was able to get through it. With your good help, she was able to get through it. So nothing there is concerning. In fact, everything there is just what we would want to see happen. I do think like, okay, but then there's the question, right? And this is probably on your mind of like, well, when would you worry then? Right. If this isn't the grounds for concern, when would you worry? And and is that something you've yes, sort of thought I, about? Yeah. When do you need to be concerned? It's so interesting to also hear you say that being upset or being frustrated or mad, you know, maybe even depressed in some moments, like there's an acceptable window when that's an appropriate response. And I never looked at it that way. I think that's right. And I think another way to put it would be it's kind of weird if people aren't upset right now. <laughs> True. <laughs> like, You're right. You're absolutely that right. That would probably be grounds for concern if somebody was like, this is awesome. Let's keep doing yeah. this for a really long time. Right. Like we, we would definitely think something was not working as it should. But I do know that there are families where maybe their kids are not bouncing back, you know, that they're upset and they stay upset. Yes. And that for me means that they're not meeting that second part of the definition of mental health, which is that they're able to get through it. Since the pandemic began, I've become very preoccupied with coping, which is this whole department in psychology of you know research that we do that I've known about for a long time, but it's really come center stage for me lately in terms of thinking about you know when we're under chronic stress conditions, which at this point everybody is, we instinctively just start coping. And, and that's good, except for not all coping is good. <laughs> There's bad mm. coping and good coping. Mm. And so bad coping, you know, are things like being really awful to be around or for grownups or teenagers, like drinking a lot or using. Um, and good coping are things like finding happy distractions and, you know, reaching out and being close with people who make you feel better. And so the other thing when I'm wondering, like, what are the flags that we want to be looking for? I think we want to be looking for bad coping when kids or grown-ups really get into patterns where they're doing that kind of thing. So much of this reminds me when I, during the Iraq war, would rotate in and out. We did six-week rotations into Iraq. And you didn't realize what the stress was that you're under when you're covering a war zone. But every time the plane would land back in London, you know, which is where we would spend a couple of days, it's like you could literally feel the stress dissipating that you didn't even know you were taking in as you landed somewhere that you know there wasn't going to be an IED exploding. And sometimes I, I think about the pandemic here. There's no trip to London. There's no safe point where I'm like, I'm out of the battle zone. And you're under this pressure that you don't even realize you're under. Like, how do you know when you're not coping properly? Okay, well, first of all, like, you're such a badass. Like, I love that story. Like, I just have to stop on that for a minute. Like, this is what I love about you, right? That you're just this, like, incredible woman who also, like, 
has this incredible work that you do and have done and have been in situations that um, give us a really good yardstick for talking about stress, actually, right? My mom would say that was a lapse in good judgment during my 20s, oh, yeah? uh, those rotations into Iraq. But um, nonetheless, uh, it did get me thinking about dealing and coping with stress and how sometimes you don't even realize the pressure you're under. And there's no safe base to where I just get to this beach house or or I you know, make it through the end of the month and we're done, you know? Right. Well, and and I think something that you're talking about here that's implicit is that part of the problem with this pandemic is that there's no end date, right? If somebody could come to us today and say, okay, here's the good news. You just have to make it to January 15th. That would change everything. And I wonder if part of why you were able to manage something like, you know, covering war zones in Iraq is that you had a sense of, you know, I have to hold it together for just this long and yes. then I can, you know, I can I can be all right again. And so it's interesting to think about we don't have that benefit right now. How do we get through it? And I've become much more aware than ever of the loss of things to really look forward to. So we can't look forward to an end date. But I also feel like a lot of us and our kids especially have lost those you know, like, oh, this vacation, or oh, this nice dinner party we're having, or oh, you know, those kinds of things. And so when we're trying to get through something, that helps. And increasingly in my own family, I've created these artificial things to look forward to, or I've brought like the horizon much closer in terms of stuff we can look forward to that can't be messed up. So it's simple and small things like um, there's a really lovely bakery in our community. And it's really an indulgence to go there because the stuff's so good. Um, and and so I've started to every ten days or, do, or ten days or so, I'll say to my family, like, why don't I why don't I pick up from on the rise, you know, this weekend? I'll bring us a bunch of nice stuff from on the rise this weekend. And it's tiny, but I think we all need that. Like we need something we're holding on for or something we're looking forward to, or some sense of a joy or a reprieve that's coming while we're waiting for the big change that takes us back to something much more familiar than this pandemic. Hmm. It's so interesting. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herbed squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. 
We spend a lot of time teaching our kids please and thank you. But one thing I've realized I haven't spent a lot of time teaching my children is how to be financially responsible. We started using the Greenlight app and it's made a difference in helping them have that conversation about money and to really understand how it can affect their lives. Greenlight's a debit card and a money app that's made for families. I can send money to my kids, keep an eye on their spending and their savings. I didn't think I would need this app, but my kids are absolutely loving it and they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa. EarthBreeze EcoSheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. EarthBreeze.com slash Ask Lisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. I feel like I can't even imagine that day when I can walk into a restaurant without a mask or do grocery shopping without a mask, that when you can't even see the edge of the horizon anymore, it just can be so overwhelming. This is hard. This is hard. I mean, I've practiced for 25 years and, you know, no one's going to be surprised to hear me say, like, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, this I've never seen anything this pervasive, this difficult. But I think we'll get through it. Our kids will get through it. And uh, one of the things that's helping us get through it around here, and I'm guessing maybe around your house, uh, screens. How's it going with screens at your house? I, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned it because I'm, I'm very embarrassed if I were to tell you the amount of time that my son is spending on Fortnite and <laughs> Netflix and Apple TV. Uh, it's it's a little bit embarrassing that all rules of engagement, there, there are no rules. Let's put it there are no rules. The rules are gone. <laughs> Out the window. Oh, man. It's so funny when you mention Fortnite. And I, I do think we, we want to talk about screens and like what, what should parents be doing or not doing. But... One of the questions that people have asked me a lot is like, how are kids doing with their social relationships? And what I'm saying back is, really, the kids who are crushing this are the 9 to 15-year-old boys who have these games that they play that involve interacting with their peers over the video games because they were doing that before the pandemic and they're still doing it and they're as happy as can be. Oh my gosh, I never looked at it that way. So you're actually saying the fact that these boys, with my sons in that age range, that that's not such a bad thing because it's a sense of normalcy from pre-COVID to current day. It's how they were socializing before. They're like, great, just more oh, of it, wow. right? Whereas the rest of us are trying to figure out how to have like Zoom wine events. You know, the, <laughs> the boys are like, and it's almost all boys. The boys are like, that's great, more Fortnite, more time with yeah. my friends. So around here, the way it looks is I try to keep a lid on it. 
um, my 16-year-old's busy enough with other stuff that she doesn't spend a huge amount of time on screens. And she's, as far as I know, and I and I truly believe this to be true, she's like really reasonable in terms of her use of social media. She's not someone I worry about too much in that department. My nine-year-old is a lot harder because I don't. I'm not able to entertain her mm-hmm. as much as she needs to be entertained, and she's got nothing else going on. No camps, no day camps, no. You know, playdates are tricky, as we all know. And she's being so good. She's reading a lot, and she'll go out in the backyard and play on her own a little while, and she'll go down in the basement and play with her crafts. But there comes a point in the day where I'm busy, my husband's busy, she's done all the things she's supposed to do, and I'm like, fine, watch TV. Like, I I, I just, I can't tell her no, and it feels like the least I can offer her Mm -hmm. at that point. So when would you say too much is too much. Like, is there a point where it really starts to practically melt your brain and reverse, <laughs> you know, progress that's made on math and science? And, you know, like, at, when am I absolutely doing great harm? Okay. Uh, probably not yet. I think you're probably okay. Um, so here's how I, my big guardrails on screen time, you know, number one is like, what are they looking at? So if you want to melt a kid's brain, like show them porn, like that is horrible for children. Mm. Like that is a terrible idea. No one's going to do that. And your kids shouldn't be looking Mm. at it. So there's stuff like that, that any amount of that is too much of that. The rest of it, okay, like, well, what are they looking at? So Fortnite, yes, it's violent. I know people have questions and concerns about that. Um, When we look at the psychological science on violent video games, the truth of the matter is, and, and this is hard for me to say, there's no slam dunk that they're horrendous for kids. I mean, like, it, it really depends on who your kid is and how violent they are in normal life. You know, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of, you know, measures of this. But your kid likes Fortnite. It makes him happy. My hunch is that your son is not running around being violent in other ways. Is that a fair assumption? A- absolutely right. Absolutely right. Okay. So, you know, Fortnite, probably no problem at all. Then there's, like, the benign stuff kids watch that's dumb but not harmful. And then there's like cool educational stuff kids are watching or kids are using their screens to have meaningful friendships and meaningful connections. So for me, the first question is, is what they're looking at on the screen harmful to them, in and of itself harmful? And, you know, I was a latchkey child. When I think about the hours I spent watching Gilgan's Island followed by Dick Van Dyke, I mean, I watched so much television that was actually so much dumber than what my kids are watching. I can actually relax a little bit because I'm like, well, what they're watching is much more clever than Mm. anything I ever got to see. So there's that. And then I think the next question is, is it getting in the way? Is it getting in the way of things that they're supposed to be doing in the name of normal development? like sleeping, helping out around the house, learning something, right, this summer, even if it's how to bake, um, which is actually no small thing. Um, Are they physically active? You know, like, think through, like, what's the the list of what healthy developing children need to do? And if kids are doing those things, right now, screens are a huge comfort. and, And we need happy distractions. That's actually one of the key findings in the psychology of managing chronic stress, which is where we're at, you need to be able to take mental vacations. Our kids need it. We need it. And a really easy mental vacation to take is to watch a really absorbing show or get lost in a game. And not only is that not not harmful, it actually may be protective at this point 
as we find ourselves, what, moving into month six of this pandemic, people are going to need as many mental vacations as they can take. It's so interesting to hear you say about these breaks that you need to take. You know, I'm just wondering at what point, how do you get past it? You know, not knowing an end date, it's still so hard, right? It is so hard. Um, I wish, I wish I had the, oh, oh, you want the formula for getting past it? Oh, here it is. That's what I'm asking. You're absolutely right. I want you to give me something that I know there is no. (laughs) I want it too. (laughs) I want it too. Um, Here's where I've arrived though. I don't feel despairing or hopeless, even though I don't have that formula and I wish I had that formula. Where I've arrived is, well, first of all, we have to be really, really deliberate about taking good care of ourselves and our kids. And, and a lot of taking good care of our kids is actually taking good care of ourselves. So we need to be getting good sleep. We need to be physically active. We need to be eating well. Um, we need to be watching how much wine we're drinking. You know, we need to do the things that we know matter, especially over time, in terms of being able to sustain ourselves emotionally and physically. So we need to do that. I think the other thing that gets us through it is not to fall prey to something called learned helplessness, which is this interesting finding in psychology that that sometimes when people are in situations like the one we're in, where so much is out of their control and bad, they they can actually slip into a posture of like, there's nothing I can do about anything. And, and that's actually a place we don't want to go. That kind of like, I'm going to get in my covers, under in my bed and pull the covers over my head and like, tell me when it's over. Like, I know we all feel that way and you certainly have your days. But I think we want to try to steer clear of a sense of total helplessness and really make a point of focusing on, okay, well, what can I control? Of all the stuff that is out of control that I don't like, I have to accept and let go of a lot of it. What in this can I make better for myself, better for my kids, make nicer, make work, make taste good? You know, I think that's where our energies need to be. At the beginning of quarantine, back in March, when all of this sort of started and we thought we might be hunkered down for two weeks, I felt I've got a list of things that I'm going to get through, all these books I wanted to read, all the the closet that I wanted cleaned out that I haven't been able to do for a year. And none of those books have been read closet is still a total mess. <laughs> and I feel like I'm struggling, like I need to be productive and work my way through this mm. as a coping strategy. But some days, Lisa, it's just even hard to get out of bed, let alone take care of the kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, I made those lists too. I mean, I, I kind of this frantic list making, I actually have them around somewhere of like all the books I've been meaning to read and the stuff I was going to clean. It was also closets. It was cleaning out the basement and washing the windows. Um, I have made some progress on one of the books, but the list was, you know, probably had six or seven books on it. Um, I think, first of all, I have found, and I'm wondering if you found, like, I'm surprisingly busy in ways that I did not expect yes. to be. And it's not like I'm doing wonderful, productive exactly work. Exactly right. It's just that things are so hard, they just take so long. That's right. Um, so there's that. But I think, actually, this is important, and this may be a really... Um, this is something I'm really glad we're, we're talking about, which is when when things fall, spin out of control, you can want to exert tremendous control. And, um, and I think that is something we want to be wary about because to get through this pandemic, you know, the goal is not going to be 
to see how productive or disciplined we can be or our kids can be. I think the way we're going to get through this pandemic is to focus on the goal of coming out the other side of it psychologically intact Hmm. and doing what it takes to get there. So if you had to put up billboards across America with one message, Hmm. one message about this pandemic to everybody in America, what would it be? Hmm. I think it would be something like, be gentle with yourself, be gentle with your kids, we're going to find our way, but this isn't going to be easy, and we're going to have to be really kind to everyone, ourselves included. Great advice. Really great advice, Um, and sometimes not so easy to take. No, no, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. I'm really glad we're talking about it because I think people can feel alone. You know, I think it's easy to feel alone and um, under hard times that go on for a long time. That's the last thing. That's the absolute last thing anyone wants to feel. So, Lisa, what's your parenting to go take? When our kid is having a meltdown, you know, those huge emotional eruptions, it is so easy to want to jump in and make it stop. And I think often the way we try to do that is we start offering solutions and suggestions. My parenting to go is that so often that is not what kids or really anybody wants. They mostly just want to know that you get it and that you empathize. And they may at some point be able to take suggestions, but usually not off the bat. So my advice is that when you have a kid of any age who is having an emotional meltdown. Hold yourself steady, listen intently, and then offer empathy. My favorite words are, oh honey, that stinks. It is amazing how far that gets in helping kids feel better. We want to thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll tune in each week as we dig into your latest parenting questions. You can send those questions straight to us at AskLisa at DrLisaDemore.com. Now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or a medical health professional. If you're looking for additional resources or information about this podcast, check out Lisa's website, drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.